0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding, and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Every kid has a meltdown from time to time. They might be tired, hungry, or just oversharing with their sibling. As a parent, you're probably familiar with these kinds of tantrums. But what if those meltdowns are inexplicable? And what if they're more common than any other behaviour? Dr Caroline Mole is a co-director at the Seedling Lab at Sydney University. At the lab, she works with children to understand their complex behaviours. And today, she's here to talk to us about Oppositional Defiance Disorder, or ODD. Hi, Caroline. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How do you define ODD? So, oppositional defiant
1: disorder is pretty much as the name suggests. So, it's it's when a child, or can be a teenager, has a has a pattern of behaviour that is it can be angry, it can be kind of defiant and irritable, uh, it can even be kind of vindictive and spiteful, um, and it's behaviour that is more frequent and more persistent than you would expect from a child of their age.
0: Those words, vindictive and and spiteful, really hit a chord with me because I don't think I really understood this actual disorder until I spoke to someone whose child had been diagnosed and she explained the way it was manifesting for that child. Um, It can be really challenging for parents, can't it? Because vindictive and spiteful is a bit different to just being cranky and throwing themselves around?
1: Yeah, it can be. I mean, the ODD can display itself in quite a few different ways. There are many behaviours that would kind of put a child in that category. So some children could be incredibly moody, very irritable, loads of temper tantrums. Um, in some ways, they could seem like they're just your typical three- or four-year-old. The difference is that these behaviours are going on for longer um, they're lasting at least six months. They kind of, that phase that is typical is extending. The behaviors are causing a problem to that child, either at home or maybe at school or preschool. But there are, you can also, as I've said, and it's, as you sent us then as well, when you get things like spiteful or vindictive behaviors, it can be very challenging as well because, you know, you start to think, you know, what's my child trying to do? What's they kind of, what, are the, what are their thoughts going on here? And it's very challenging in many ways for parents and families.
0: Is it usually a standalone condition, or are, there, or are children with ODD likely to have other things going on?
1: Look, it can be either, either one. Um, it absolutely exists on its own as a diagnosis. It's actually one of the most common diagnoses in terms of child mental health. We hear very little about it, um, and I think that's because there's quite a stigma associated with it, but it is one of the most common disorders. But it also can coexist um, typically with things like ADHD, even anxiety, um, even autism spectrum disorders. So it can coexist. And if you think about it, there are certain ways where the risk for these kind of behaviors is increased. So if you do have a child with ADHD, for example, because of the ADHD, they might find that it's more difficult to concentrate at school, that might get them in trouble. And so the kind of risk factors for ODD, some of them can be related to other diagnoses.
0: And do we know what's going on for a child? I know the behaviour itself can manifest in lots of different ways, but do we know what's happening neurologically for children who have ODD?
1: Uh, Simply no, not really. I mean, the problem with ODD is that there are many different risk factors that we know exist. a child to have ODD. Some of them are biological, so some of them, um, there are genetic risk factors, so kind of a heritability, um, but can the disposition of the child or how good the child is maybe at regulating their emotions, that can be a risk factor and that's more of a dispositional biologically based risk factor. They can also be environmental risk factors as well, so things like uh, lack of supervision or maybe parenting that's very inconsistent, even actually, even older age friends that reinforce the negative behaviors. So, there are many, many different factors that can influence a child developing and um, having oppositional technology disorder. We can't really put our finger on one thing.
0: In terms of environment, have you ever seen cases where children might sort of develop this condition after a big event, uh, something like a, a tragedy in the family or an illness or something that? has been a big shock. Is that potentially an environmental cause as well?
1: Yeah, sort of. Look, so I kind of research this topic from a very academic angle. So I don't practice as a clinician, but there is something called an an adjustment disorder, uh, which is where a child may have very different behaviours for an extended period period of time after an event such as that. So something very difficult. I think the important thing, I think, when people talk about ODD, they tend to get a bit caught up on the label. It's not a very nice label, you know, oppositional defiant um, disorder. But the people I think have the very a very wrong impression of it. It's really just describing behaviors for which the child needs some help. That's the whole point. It's not labelling that child as bad or naughty or, you know, not coping with the situation. That's not what it's doing. It's saying this child's behavior is causing them problems, it's causing their family problems. It might be meaning they're not really engaging with school or friendships as well as they should, so they need some help. That's the whole point of the disorder of label grid. Really.
0: When you describe that situation as a child needing help, depending on their age, I can imagine some of the children in an older age group, sort of, you know, from maybe five to eight or upwards till ten, may be aware they're having problems, like, you know, that self-reflective, why is yeah. this happening to me? How do you manage that in a child? I think, I mean, typically signs of oppositional defiant disorder start
1: earlier on, so they typically kind of begin in preschool and then, you know, may get worse as the child gets older if they don't get any assistance with that. As the child gets older, I think what's what's kind of really sad about ODD is often their self-esteem is quite damaged because at a younger age, all they often really know is that they are getting in trouble. They may not be very well liked. Um, they may not have very many friends. They might find it very difficult to hold down friendships. They might struggle at school because they get into trouble, even if academically they're fine. So you start to see a pattern where over time these kind of problems escalate and they snowball to a point where, yeah, when a child is maybe 8, 9, 10, they don't recognize perhaps what the problems are. They don't recognize that maybe what behaviors they can change. They're too young to be able to do that but they might recognise they're different from their friends. They might recognise that they're not well liked. Um, they might have a kind of quite a bad self-image. So with ODD, it's really quite important trying to be as early as possible to stop those things from kind of snowballing on top of each other.
0: On that note, are there some typical steps in how Oppositional Defiance Disorder is managed. I know that's a tough question because, as you <laughs> mentioned, there's lots of different presentations. But let's take uh, let's take those children that find it difficult to not just fly off the handle and get angry.
1: Look, the good thing about ODD is that there's been a lot of research into it over the last few decades, and we do have. Treatments that have quite a good success rate. So the number one t- treatment would be parent management training. Again, as a slightly weird term, what that really is recognizing is that the the parent is the agent of change. Really, here the child lives with the parent. Certainly, you are talking about younger children. They typically live with the parent or the caregiver. They are the agent of change, and giving specific parenting skills. So, for example, you know, looking at rewarded good behavior, ignoring the bad behaviour being really consistent, being kind of developmentally appropriate with what you expect from the child. That kind of skill set often can make a very big difference really quite quite quickly with children's behaviour. So that's that would be the, the basic starting point. And you'd do that through a clinical psychologist. You'd normally go to your GP, express your concerns and then link you in uh, with somebody with experience in taking you through that is normally my kind of a six to ten week treatment course. And typically they only see the um, parents. Sometimes you see the kid as well. It depends on the situation, but it's really giving the parents the power to to make those changes.
0: And what happens if that doesn't work? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's not
1: always going to work. I mean, with any treatment for anything, it's not always going to work. Then the first thing I would say is don't give up. Don't give in. As a parent, you do have that power to make changes um, and then you can do it. There is a lot of assistance out there. So there are even websites now that exist, which I don't know if you have links with here, but I can give you the links to them. It's called Parent Works, We have Family Man, which is specifically aimed at dance. They can give support and online resources for assistance with this. The other thing to recognize as well is that if it's not working, if you're still worried about your child and their behavior, if it's still causing problems at home at school, etc., just keep seeking help. Just keep going back, keep trying until you find something that's going to work. For some children, for example, particularly at the older ages, you know, kind of eight, nine plus, it could be that they have specific difficulties with social skills, for example, and maybe that hasn't been recognised. So a clinician might say, you know, your your child would benefit um, from doing some of this work themselves, and that might be what your child needs just to kind of, you know, to help them out as well. There are all sorts of different kind of add-ons that can be added to the basic parent management training that may be beneficial.
0: And I I often look at these things from a a parent's perspective and I guess also from having friends go through this experience and obviously the main concern for the parent is their child's well-being. But Mm. as an outsider looking in, I often really feel for the parents as well because in some ways parents are expected to have this endless well of compassion for their child Mm. Which is easy if your child has a well, not easy, but might not be as challenging if your child has a physical ailment. But when it's something that is directed at you, for example, if you're being told that your child hates you, if the if it's um, violence against you in terms of those tantrums, etc., I feel I really feel for the parents because, as you say, they are the ones that can initiate the greatest change. But I wonder. Are we giving parents enough support in their role as holding that space for a child? Because I imagine it would be quite painful. You love your child no matter what, but when their their behaviour is actually emotionally hurting you, mm-hmm. regardless of how much you say, it's it's. I know it's not them. I know it's a condition that they have. Do we do we support our parents enough?
1: Look, I don't think we do. And the the reason I, don't, I when I say we, I mean just general society as a whole. I mean anyone who's had, you know, a, a toddler or a preschooler will know the embarrassment that is when you're at the supermarket mm-hmm. or at the playground and they have that tantrum, you know, and they're screaming, kicking. And that's completely normal, it's completely typical. But you know what that embarrassment feels like. You know that you're feeling like other people are looking. Now they may not be judging, but they're certainly looking. So just take that experience and then magnify that by perhaps an older child, by being far more frequent be more intense and you start to kind of understand the experiences parents are going through. If you add on as well, we have what we call attributions towards other people. so typically a parents attribution towards their children in a positive relationship would be that they have kind of positive enduring long-lasting attributes. You know they're a helpful child, they're a pleasant child, that kind of thing. One thing that's very very difficult when you have a child with ODD, is those attributions can start to change. You can start thinking they're not a nice child. You can start, you know, thinking those negative kind of enduring patterns. And they are very, very difficult. I mean, it's awful to feel them as a parent, and they need to be addressed as well. But those are the kind of things that, you you know, you, in some ways, you need support from, from friends, right? They can be very useful there because they can remind you of what that child was like, you know, at other times when they're behaving typically normally. And you know, maybe when they were younger, and you remember how much they loved playing with animals or something—something something lovely that you know is is really them. I think friends can be very supportive there. Other thing that can happen is these families can become quite isolated. In some ways, it's understandable. You know, other families might say, "I don't want my child playing with that kid." Okay, they're too angry, they're too volatile, whatever it might be, and they're trying to protect their own children. At the same time, that social isolation only goes to make things worse for that family. The best thing you can do is try and really support that family without the judgment, knowing full well that there are multiple risk factors for this condition coming about. And so coming in without judgment, without blame, just to be there, just to support it any way you can so they don't become socially isolated. So I think that you know, the third thing to realize as well, and I hear this so, so much, you know, people obviously you don't know what I do for a job, I hear people talking about it, you know, I overhear conversations, And the number of people that seem to think that just because addressing a child's behaviour through changing their parenting, even though that's the best treatment we have, it doesn't mean the parenting is to blame in the first place. It's like saying the best analogy I was ever told was this: it's like if you have a headache, you take an aspirin, and the aspirin won't make your headache go away. You don't have a headache because you're lacking in aspirin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, the the
1: fix, the cure, doesn't mean that, that that's you know, where something is missing or well, that's the problem. We just know that that's, you know, a good way of fixing it. If the child has autism spectrum disorder, for example, I think as a community we're becoming much better at recognizing that and recognizing that a child cannot help their behavior, that they are still learning. You know, they need a lot of support. A child with ODD is no different. They need that support and they need that love and they need that warmth and that care to help them learn, to help them get through the difficulties that they're going through.
0: Do you have any understanding of recovery? Is it something that children will only uh, recover from with treatment? Do they ever grow out of it? What is the rate of recovery for this disorder? Yeah,
1: look, some children do grow out of it. Some of them, it's, you know, in some ways a prolonged stage for some children. Some, I think, parents uh, adapt their parenting almost intuitively. And so the child will, you know, grow out of it in that sense. With treatment, I think around 50, 60% of children will definitely improve to become non-diagnostic, if you like, still improve to a point. The difficulty is that it's for some children, there may be risk factors there that put them at risk for having ODD in the first place that may be harder to shift. So when it is something like emotion regulation, so for a child that is just, you know, it's I mean, these kids are as common as one or two in every class. And we know those children. These are the children that when you kind of hook them a little bit, they'll explode. Mm. You know, they're the kids that really react to situations. That's typical for ODD. There's another kind of, uh, uh, you can have children with behavior problems who have kind of the opposite event. And that's a kind of different category. In many ways, it's less common. But typically, these children are very reactive. You know, they find it difficult to not respond with someone's, you know, trying to annoy them or, you know, that kind of thing. So that is something that they, they may struggle with for a long time. That may influence the way they kind of function and how they go through their early life for quite a long time. And it may mean that they need more kind of continuous help with that. It's very much a case-by-case basis.
0: Yes, and I suppose in a non-diagnostic setting, we all know adults who have never been taught or shown or think they need emotional self-regulation so yeah understanding and giving them support throughout their life is going to help in some yeah, way Yeah, absolutely absolutely
1: and what we do know about ODD and we know it very clearly is that the earlier the intervention the better people often think early intervention means before you're an adolescent we mean three or four that's what we mean by early intervention three four five mm. very very early on because of this effect where the the impact of these kind of behaviors grow on top of each other. So the earlier you need to be, the earlier you can change these behaviours and the better the outcome for these kids. And I think the other thing to recognise as well is that, you know, I'm, I'm not engaged in this exact research question at the moment, but I'm sure people are, is that with the stress of COVID, particularly on parents, it's been a very strange two years for um, kids and for parents. It may well be that we see higher rates of MDD coming out because these are kids who've been surrounded by parents who are very stressed, we're dealing with lots of things at the same time, may not have the amount of time that they need, you know, to attend to their kids' needs. So I may be wrong, but we might see higher rates coming out in the next few years, just purely because of that stress factor. So I think if parents have been, you know, very stressed in the last few years and they're worried about their child's behavior now, just go straight to your GP. Just nothing else. Go straight to your GP. they concerned about this and start, you know, talking back and forth with them about what you can
0: do. Caroline thank you so much for your time today. Oh you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. That's Dr Caroline Mole, she's a co-director of the Seedling Lab at Sydney University and I'll put links to those websites that Caroline mentioned in that interview in the notes of this episode.